0: Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman and child that calls this church family home to be a part of connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Um, I often sit in at least attempted silence right at the start of any beginning of a sermon prep. Like before I even know what passage we're going to be dealing with, I often just want to sit there and be in silence so that hopefully we can we can make sure we, we know who we need to be hearing from. And it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, and I I have this opportunity where I want to posture my heart, God, what do you have to say? And so, because I know my tendencies here, once I look at the passage and I know what we're going to be engaging with, my mind's off and running. (laughs) So on this occasion, getting started with this passage, I sat in my office and I wrote the word LISTEN in all capital letters on a piece of paper and just, just sat there, wanted to see what happened. As I sat there and the minutes ticked by and not really finding anything, you know, specific that my mind is going to or my heart is kind of being drawn towards, I started to look around my office and I caught my my dual diploma that's up in my office. It's a dual diploma. There's uh, a diploma from Denver Seminary when I graduated with my master's degree um, in May of 2020. So May of 2020 means I didn't get a ceremony for that. For all my time and all the money that I gave that nice seminary, they gave me that nice sheet of paper. And uh, But my family that day, they the day I should have graduated, should have walked, they gave me a great pomp and circumstance ceremony. They gave me this, this really cool diploma, and the kids were kind of the presenters. It's kind of like in Sandlot, where at the end of the movie, you have the Babe Ruth ball, the real one, and then the fake one kind of sitting next to each other. That, that's kind of what that dual diploma serves. The real one, the one that costs so much money and time, but then the one that's very, very valuable to me kind of sitting right there. It was fun. It was a nice little detour that I got to kind of do while I was listening. Then I kept looking around my office and I saw a picture of me and Foth, special to me, made me smile. I saw a picture of my wife and I and, and John and Afton at a Rockies game last year. Remember, it was so cold that day. I saw a foster care certificate that Weld County had presented uh, to this church family in in honor of this church family's foster efforts. And then right next to that certificate, I saw a gift that a a kid had given me after our recent um, Foster Parents Night Out event that we had done a couple of months back. Just, Just things that are making me smile. I saw a picture of Timberline Pastors, standing in this building in a circle right in front of those entry doors when when there was just dirt on the ground here in this strip mall shell. And they were praying, kind of like we're inviting you to pray up at the farm. They they were praying before it was really realized what was going to happen here. And then I saw a great picture that Sarah Sonnenberg had taken of the farm property that that has always been emblematic for me and for many people about the future of us as a campus. Where, Where is God taking us? whatever God wants that to be so even if if all this time sitting in my office was was just a distraction wandering that my mind was taking it it, it was well worth it. it made me smile it was refreshing you should try it in fact I suggest that, that you take some time at your home or at your office or even just scrolling through pictures on your phone take a look around you what has God been doing what kind of things are going to Just make you smile and and come from that. And then I began to connect the dots. Why this wasn't just a distraction. It was a journey that God was taking me on. Because if we do the same thing with Jesus, in what we have unpacked and experienced in just these five months, six chapters of Mark, look at all that Jesus has done and who he is. In just these last five months that we've covered this, you got baptized by John the Baptist, tempted by Satan, calling his disciples, healing many, numerous episodes under that description, preaching and teaching and demon cleansing, enduring family rejection, storytelling, calming a storm, master over disease, master over unclean spirits, Enduring hometown rejection, losing his cousin to murder, feeding thousands with just a lunchable, and walking on water. From just what we've seen, the mastery and the power and the authority of Jesus is undeniable. How many of those episodes do you think you need to see in order to believe that he's God? How many do you think the disciples needed to see in order to believe that he is who he says he is? Look around at Jesus. He's powerful. He's authoritative. He's master over all things. And so right here at the start, before we even open up our Bibles, I want us to recognize this point. It's gonna be our first outline point if Jesus's mastery is so undeniable, we should probably listen to him, right? Especially on how he has intended faith to work. Because I don't think those two things necessarily go together for us. Believing that Jesus is master and actually listening to him. In fact, I know that they don't always go together. You would think that somewhere in Mark chapter 7, it'll start off with a verse like this. After seeing Jesus walk on water and all the other things that Jesus had done, all the other great wonders, the disciples followed him and did whatever he said. You'd kind of expect for that to, to be next, right? But it isn't. And it isn't in your life. And it isn't in my life. We can unwaveringly believe Jesus is Lord, slap it on our cars, on our social media bios, and even Sunday plans. But do we let him establish how our beliefs and our actions and our lives are gonna go? Who calls the shots, Lord or me? Are we as faithful in following his lead, his will, as we are in proclaiming faith in him. I want us to continue taking this deeper because, of course, once I did allow myself to finally look at, well, what passage are we getting into? Shocker upon all shockers, it's exactly where the Spirit was leading. So let's take this a little deeper. If the mastery of Jesus is so undeniable, we should probably listen to him. So, when his word, or in this account, Mark chapter 7, his voice corrects us, what should we do? The world around us is at least consistent with their answer. I am not going to abide by what the Bible calls me to do because I don't believe in the Bible. (laughs) That's consistent. What's inconsistent is believers saying, I wholeheartedly believe this. I know Jesus is Lord, but I'm not going to follow everything he says for me to do. That's inconsistent. And some of us might use the word instead of inconsistent, hypocritical. So why is inconsistency, why is hypocrisy such a big deal? That's what we're diving into in this passage. In we go. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. It'll be on the screens if you don't have Bibles or Bible apps open. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, unwashed. Okay, so, so these Pharisees have their nicely washed hands full with Jesus. His popularity is swelling And reinforcements are called from Jerusalem, from headquarters. The scribes come to investigate and convict, all based on Jesus' swelling influence. They got to start controlling this. It's getting out of hand. And across this passage, one of the things that's really interesting is you see Mark doing a little bit of creative narration, There's some things that he's not sure that you and I are going to connect, some background knowledge that we need, and so he puts that in parentheses like he's about to do with verse 3. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Okay, narrator disclaimer over, side note over, he keeps going with this story. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So like there usually is with the Pharisees, they have a legitimate launching point. For their accusations here this practice for the jews and washing hands before meals not exactly a bad idea right but it's i would hope that none of us if someone eats something with unwashed hands i would hope none of us call them spiritually defiled or unholy they're just dirty (laughs) what happened here is that the torah foundation of a person washing or cleansing themselves, especially for before ceremonial duties that we see back in Exodus 30, verse 19, and chapter 40, verse 12. It was an a exercise that they would do before a specific ceremony. The tradition of the elders interpreted that. The tradition of the elders, that's that's people that had the role, the responsibility of taking Torah and applying it to people's everyday life. Kind of like a modern-day pastor. And that tradition in the elders later made the ritual hand-washing a matter of holy cleanliness or the lack of doing it a matter of unholy defilement. Not only is it something you can do, maybe even should do, but it's something that will make you spiritually unclean, unpresentable to God. And that's where Jesus speaks up. Verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, and he quotes Isaiah here, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then he addresses them directly. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. Jesus is equating their religious judgment with heartless lip service. For one, your teachings on holiness, the things that you develop into doctrines, the things everybody must do in order to be presentable before God, those are commandments from men, not God. You're making up your own rules about holiness. On the first point, pause and reflect. Where has the tradition of men led people away from the commandments of God? Where have people or societies or even churches expounded upon, added, tweaked, or even removed what God has said as a commandment? Where you might find legalism in those environments, you won't find anything that's effective in cleansing a person, dealing with that issue of defilement. And what's even worse than just being ineffective is that the traditions of men lead people away from the commandments of God. Just throw it all out. Focusing more on commentary, interpretations, maybe even loopholes than allowing God's word to guide us. Check your value systems. Check your influencers. Check your church and your pastor. Are they leading you more and more to the heart of God's word or away from it? Or are they missing the heart of the matter? That's the second issue with the religious judgment of the Pharisees and the scribes. Your actions are merely external, it's all an act. You're like the Hippocrates. That was the name for the the Greek actors at a time. You're just just actors. Modern day word would be thespians. You're just out there acting, putting on a show of righteousness. Your hearts are far from me. Jesus, the master, the authoritative one, keeps teaching. Verse 9. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. He took it seriously, apparently. But you say, if a man tells his father and his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you do. So reminding ourselves that why are we listening to what Jesus has to say here? Because he's the water-walking, demon-cleansing God. We should be hanging on every word he says. And here he is saying that the law Even the most clear things in the law, like honoring your parents, taking care of them when they're getting older, especially in this society, honoring your parents. That's something very clear. You can't really twist that one up. But it can find its way into such warped religious red tape that it completely misses the heart of the matter. So often law, Jewish law, was intended to protect the otherwise weak and vulnerable in this case, parents, in a degrading phase of life. If a person declared that the funds that they had reserved for the care of their parents later in life, they they had set that away, okay, that's for mom and dad when they get old and I need to take care of them, okay? And if a person declares that Corbin, that is dedicated to the Lord, not only can't it be used and the parents can't benefit from it at all, but they don't even need to give that money to the church. They can use it on themselves, go buy themselves a new mule or something like that. It's this weird, strange loophole that makes no sense based on what was the heart of the matter originally. Hey, care for your parents, care for the vulnerable, and somehow the Pharisees got in there and they warped it into this loophole that made no sense, completely missing the whole point of the law in the first place. And Jesus is going, you do stuff like that all the time. You miss the heart of God because you're creating your own religion, your own way of doing this. Remember, why do we listen to him when he says this is how it should be done? He's master. Listen to him many such things you do, Jesus said. You are far from the heart of God and the commandment, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And the great master continues teaching, and and here he kind of circles back. He goes from the the warped perversion of missing the mark and honoring your parents, the loophole, and now he goes back to missing the mark with ritual hand-washing. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Don't worry so much about being spiritually unclean because your hands didn't get washed in some dirt, might have got on some food, and then in your mouth, and now you're spiritually unacceptable to God. Stuff from the outside can't warp And pervert and make your heart unacceptable to God. It's the things that come out of a person that are what defile him. Verse 17 And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? And here's one of, one of Mark's little side notes. He says, thus, he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting pride, or sorry, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What makes a person defiled, spiritually inconsistent is anything in our life that is warped From the way of God. Anything in our life. Many translations, including the one that we just read from, talk about the heart of a person. The heart of a person. That's because given the context that that you and I are in, this is an English Bible written so that we can kind of grasp and understand this, that kind of hits the mark a little bit. The heart of the matter. I love you with all of my heart or my heart wasn't in it. That for us is kind of the center, right? But just like last week with Pastor Donnie in the phrase that Jesus was about to pass them by, just like he explained to us that, hey, something gets lost in translation there. It may not mean what you think it means at face value. So here, it's actually like the heart doesn't even really encompass what the Hebrew mind would have seen and understood there. See, the Hebrew mind didn't actually refer to the heart in the way that we do. Certainly not the blood pumping organ, nor even the center of emotion and affection. For the Hebrew mind, that doesn't sufficiently encompass all that's being talked about here. In what defiles a person, in what makes a person spiritually inconsistent, it's any aspect of their being lived out, that is inconsistent with faith. So I want us to kind of grasp this. This is why it's going to be the second outline point. What defiles a person is any aspect of our lives, thoughts, mind, emotions, will, and actions that is inconsistent with belief. So even though it's a little more wordy, it should probably best be said like this. What defiles a person is anything and everything in their being lived out that is inconsistent with their faith. That is why any inconsistency is a big deal. When my thoughts, my emotions, my will, or my actions are not perfectly aligned with belief, when there's pride, when there's foolishness, when there's sensuality or slander, there is defilement. This is kind of hard for us to to kind of wrap our minds around. This is not necessarily Christianity 101. We're kind of diving into the deeper teachings of Jesus here. And, And for the disciples, it was hard for them to get it too. Did you catch that? They had to come back to Jesus and go, hey, we're gonna need a little unpacking on what you just said. That was, that, was, that was pretty foreign for us. But notice what they do. They keep coming back to him. They gradually learn more and more, slowly but surely. And on this present topic at hand for them, ceremonial laws and food, the laws distinguish between clean and unclean foods in order to instill an awareness of things being set apart for God. That's what holiness means. Some of us kind of bristle at the word of being holy. I don't want to be holy. I don't want people to see me as holy. If holy simply means set apart from for God, yeah, you do. You want to live holy. And the distinction between clean and unclean things represented that there was a barrier between the things of creation and full unlimited fellowship with God. That's kind of an important object lesson that God established all the way back with Moses. That distinction between separation between us and God is gonna be there because sin, we put it there. God needs us to know that it's there. And a critical question at at what we would say is probably the heart of the matter is whether something that becomes unclean or defiled can ever become clean again. Can hand washing do it? Can ritual do it? Can sacrifice do it? What can make me clean again? That's, the, that's leading us closer and closer to the kind of consistency that Jesus is after. And actually it's leading us to answer the question of, of whether we should operate and live based on clean and unclean foods and rituals. Here we go. Jesus, the master, taught that defilement primarily happens how? From a person's heart, translation, mind, emotions, will, or actions, is defiled, is is lived apart from their faith, consistency with their faith. And this is why it's so important to understand who Jesus is and what he's after, because if that defilement that exists in my life is thoroughly removed, every grain of it removed from my life, and that happens for us by the atonement of Jesus, then the ceremonial laws have played their role and they're no longer needed. I got to say that again, because that's what the master is teaching. And that's the answer to the question of, should we still be operating in clean, unclean food distinctions and ceremonies and rituals? If the defilement of a person's whole heart is thoroughly removed, and for us that happens perfectly and completely by the once for all atonement of Jesus, then the ceremonial laws have sufficiently played their role and are no longer required. That's straight from the master. I'm much more interested in what's inside of you and lived out in you, he says, than just the rituals that you do. I'm interested in your mind, your emotions, your will, and your actions. I'm very concerned about any inconsistency and defilement that's there. And it threatens you like a cancer. I want to read verses 21 through 23 again, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. These things are like cancer and allowed unchecked in your life. They will not only make you unclean, they will take you out. That's what needs to be cleansed, Jesus says. Way more than just dirty hands. Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24 serves as like a life verse for me on this. And I wanna have it on the screens and I I wanna invite you to say it with me in a moment. But, but here's the thing, before we get to that, I really want you to mean it. I don't want you just to repeat it because the pastor asked us to, to repeat after him and read this. I want us to strive to mean this as a prayer So it's gonna be on the screens and I'm gonna say it through once and then I'll invite you to say it after this so that you know what it says. I'll say it first. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can you mean that? Can you strive to mean that. Here I am, God. Search all of me. I had a conversation with somebody after first service and they said, Man, I'm going to have this prayer in front of me every day. But then I realized it's not like God only sees me and searches me out when I let him. <laughs> God sees me and searches me out whether I'm letting him or not. This is a prayer that reminds me of that and shows him I'm open you want to purge something, you want to convict me of something, you want to show me that there's something wrong in my life, God, here I am. If you even want to try to mean that in your soul, I invite you to read this with me. Here we go. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the great antidote to people of the church getting puffed up and thinking that it's just the other people in our culture that's defiling us. No, no, there's enough in my life that needs to be cleaned in order for me to be sufficiently pure. In fact, before we get tempted to get puffed up on them versus us, especially when it comes to, yeah, those people are leading the people away from the commandments of God and towards the commandments of men, here's a little teaser that I'm going to set up and and Pastor Brent's going to hit next week. Jesus goes from teaching and investing to a religious culture. That's where he's at right now. He's talking to his people, he's talking to Jews. People that should understand these laws and the heart of God and all that. And what he sees there is great hypocrisy and inconsistency. And so, next, starting next week, it's going to be a season of his ministry where he goes out, out from beyond the religious culture into the Gentile culture. And what he finds there is great fruit and great consistency. Church, that's convicting. Does God have to leave the people of the church in order to find consistency? Or can he find it here? Can he find it within us, people that are really living our belief? Are there any inconsistencies in your life, in your mind, your heart, your emotions, your actions? Any defilements? God knows they're there even if you think you're keeping them hidden. And I'm not trying to make you feel dirty. We're all dirty, every single one of us. And here's the good news, the last point, only Jesus's blood washes us clean. It does completely, that's the good news. The Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation, no dirtiness, no defilement for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to understand our condition before God in order to understand why we need a savior. We have to understand that we all desperately needed the work of the cross that's why I'd love it if you grabbed communion elements on your way and pick those up right now. If you didn't, we have people around the room, they'll, they'll grab those trays. All you gotta do is raise your hand and we'll make sure to bring them to you. Keep that hand up. I see that they're grabbing them right now. We'll make sure you get the opportunity here. Because the great news of the gospel is that the wretch that I am, the inconsistencies and the defilement that are in my life, my my heart, my thoughts, my emotions, or my actions. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no dirtiness. When you stand before God as a follower of Jesus, you are white as snow because of what he did on that cross. For God so Loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes and accepts him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In light of that, in that heart, I invite you, church, to take the bread. And remember how on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body. It's broken for you, for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, remember that. Let's take it together. He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. No matter what you've done, no matter how defiled you may think you feel, in Jesus, what God sees is his righteousness bestowed on us because he shed his blood. Let's take that in cheers. And in celebration, God that in your sacrifice, in your offering of your body and your blood, we are all able to be declared clean. Why would we refuse that? Why would we hear and listen the good news from the master and just walk on as if it doesn't change us? So for the heart that has been hardened from your gospel, Jesus, I pray that today they may receive it. They may say, I am declared clean. Clean, righteous, holy, set apart for God because of what you did, Jesus. I accept that. And that they may know that in that acceptance, that is salvation. That is salvation. Help each and every one of us live whole lives, thoughts, will, emotions, actions that are consistent with this great truth of a God that loves us, of a God that pursues us, God that offered us forgiveness we could never cleanse on our own, declares us holy and righteous, and now lives a new life in us and through us so we can share that great message with others. Oh, we got a lot to celebrate, church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.